Are you an overwhelmed entrepreneur with endless tasks, emails, and messages? Do you feel your systems are ineffective or you don't have any at all? I get it. You wish you could come up for air and take that well-deserved vacation you've been dreaming of, all without sacrificing the growth or health of your business. I'm hosting a webinar to introduce concepts that you can use to learn more about how to clockwork your business for operational efficiency. The best part? The webinar is at no cost to you. It will be held May 14th at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, and a recording will be available for those who can't attend live. If you are ready to make a change in your business so you can take a real vacation, go to bit.ly forward slash May 2024 CFF to enroll. That's bit.ly forward slash May 2024CFF. I can't wait to see you there. Welcome to Biz Help for You with host Candy Messer. Entrepreneurs like to focus on the big picture, like profitability, success, and a smooth running organization. Always seems to be those little things like taxes, employee compensation, laws, regulations, and more. Now you can get the answers you need in one place. Join us today as we break it all down for you. Now, here's your host, Candy Messer. Hello, and welcome to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you found the information on last week's show, The Importance of Clarity of Your Vision, informative. If you are unable to join us and would like to listen to the show, links can be found on our YouTube and Facebook pages, as well as, well as multiple favorite podcast platforms. If you'd like to receive notifications on when our podcasts have been uploaded, please like and subscribe. If there are topics you find beneficial or questions you have, please feel free to reach out to me at media at abandpe.com. Now let's learn a little bit about our guest today. Wayne Mullins is a husband, father of four, founder, CEO, entrepreneur, and author. He's a generous soul, a risk taker, and an out of the box against the grain thinker and leader. Over the past 20 years, Wayne has scaled multiple companies and helped hundreds of entrepreneurs do the same with their own. Wayne influences more than 250,000 entrepreneurs annually through his blog, books, and training programs. He's personally worked with clients in over 100 industries from every corner of the globe. Ugly Mug Marketing has won the praises of some of the leading influencers in the business world, such as Neil Patel, founder of Quick Sprout and Kissmetrics, and Ari Weinsweek, co-founder of Zingerman's. So Wayne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Candy. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. I am too. I know this is going to be a lot of great information, uh, but before we get into the questions that I have for you, I would love for you to share a little bit more about yourself and how you even got into helping entrepreneurs. Sure. So my story as an entrepreneur actually probably started when I was I was very young. Um, I had always had this entrepreneurial bend, I guess, or bent in my life. Um, so from a young age, I was always doing things, trying to figure out how to earn money, um, what I what services I could provide for neighbors, for friends, for relatives to earn money. So I, I think some element of that has been kind of ingrained in my DNA. Um, but my career, I guess you could say, my actual real 
world, so to speak, path, began my junior year in college. And for whatever reason, my parents decided to give me some CDs by this gentleman of the name Zig Ziglar. Mm. And Zig Ziglar did a phenomenal job of selling me on the profession of selling. Uh, the other thing that Zig sold me on was this idea of what he used to call automobile university. And that whole concept or that whole principle was simply this, that we often spend a lot of time in our vehicles commuting to and from work or traveling, you know, wherever we may be going. And he talked about how we could turn that time into education time, listening to good books, to good messages, et cetera. So, um, you know, fast forward a little bit, I decided to go into sales and to be honest with you, Kenny, when I jumped into the sales profession, I was terrible. You know, I thought I would be good because I'd, I'd listened to Zig, I'd studied Zig stuff. Um, but as they say, you know, when you jump into the real world, um, the best strategies, the best plans um, don't really work. And, you know, once you get out there and throw yourself out there, then you learn to mm-hmm. adjust and adapt. And that's exactly what I did. Um, so I actually got good at selling over a three-year period. It, it took some time, but I got good at it. And then I started noticing the difference between my paycheck and the amount of revenue that I was bringing in for the company I was working for. And, you know, maybe some of your listeners can, can relate to that. You start looking at that and that can be a very dangerous slope to be on. And that slope led me to this idea of starting my own thing, selling for myself. Um, the problem was I didn't have many skills other than sales. The only real skill, the marketable or sellable, if you will, skill that I had was cutting grass. And mm-hmm. so much to the dismay of my, my parents, um, I, I left a great job, corporate job, eight to five money through Friday and started a lawn and landscape company. Uh, it was over the course of, of that three year period of that business, um, that I really, honed my marketing skills, kind of my business, quote unquote, skills, if you will, and started having a lot of our clients of the lawn and landscape company come to me and ask for advice. How are you growing the business so quickly? How are you growing the company? Um, And it was out of those conversations that eventually the company that I have now, Ugly Mug Marketing, would be born. Nice. It's always fun to hear the stories of how that happens. And, and I do love what you were saying where, you know, you might've listened to things and, you know, got quote unquote an education, but when you go out in the real world, it doesn't always translate easily. And so that's why it's important to have, it is great to have, you know, that book knowledge or that, you know, having heard from other people, but it's also just getting down and doing it yourself, which helps you actually learn everything. Correct. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, often the the best teacher is the real world and the best mm-hmm. teachers, often the failures or the obstacles that we encounter when we jump out there and we try to apply what we believe we already know. So it's when mm-hmm. we take that head knowledge and we put it into practical application that the true lessons are actually taught to us. Right. Well, our topic today, of course, we're going to start talking about having a self-accountable culture. But even before we get into that discussion and how to have that, I would love for you first to even just explain your definition of what is culture. Sure. Um, So I stole this definition from somewhere else, and I really like this definition. So it's the one I use. Um, The definition is simply this. Your culture is what happens, the way people perform when the boss is away. So we often define culture as 
you know, these, these other elements. So we, we look to ping pong tables. We look to kitchens with fully stocked, you know, beverages and, and snacks and all these things. Look at those things. And we, we try to look for these, um, these tokens, I guess, to help us understand what a culture may be like or what it, what it may reveal. And, you know, so you think back probably uh, a decade or so ago, Google was constantly winning best place to work. And mm-hmm. they were known for, you know, the slides in the offices and napping pods and all these really creative, unique things. But in hindsight, now that, you know, the, the truth has come out, what we know is that um, the people who were working during that period, their average work week was more than 65 hours per week. Um, and so what we what we've come to discover since then is that, you know, these, all these other elements that people Google in this case was adding on were really band-aids to try to take what was otherwise a very stressful, a very, um, you know, not a lot of work life balance, if you will. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to give the appearance and trying to give uh, their team members, their employees, some, I guess you could say, um, sympathy prizes. I don't know if that's the right word, but basically to make up for the fact that they had no life outside of work, that they were constantly in the office and there was just a lot of stress on them during that period of time. Mm -hmm. That definitely makes sense. I like that definition too. I'm not sure I'd heard that it's, you know, what the employees are doing when the boss is away. So that's a great way to look at it too. So how important is culture then to a business? Yeah, I mean, you've probably heard the the phrase, I think it was Peter Drucker who said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And for me, you know, so I'm a bootstrap entrepreneur, you know, started the business with virtually no money, a little bit of money I'd saved away, um, no line of credit, no outside investment, no, no backup plan, no anything. And I'd always heard that phrase, that saying, you know, culture is the most important thing. Um, but when you are in the early startup days, it's really difficult to believe that to be true because it seems like all this, this, uh, touchy feely type of thing. It sounds like, you know, we're going to all sit around the table and sing songs together and, mm-hmm. and ask each other how we're feeling. Um, but what I've learned over time is that saying is so true. When you invest the time, the energy, the effort in building out a remarkable culture, a self-accountable culture, um, you, you can replace that, that, that compensates for even bad strategy. I'm not recommending that you have bad strategy. It, mm-hmm. it makes up for bad tactics. It makes up for stupid decisions that you make because the culture will reveal what is underlying. The culture will always reveal what is beneath the surface. And if you have that culture, the culture of high accountability of, um, you know, of results-based, a results-based culture, those things will always rise to the surface, even, and particularly when the boss is away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. So a lot of our listeners are, you know, those sole entrepreneurs, or maybe they're small businesses. And so some of them maybe haven't really looked at creating a culture yet. Maybe they don't even have employees or maybe there's a few, but it's just kind of happened. Um, so what would you tell someone about how they can actually create the culture that they want? Sure. Well, the first thing I would say is this, is that if you are unintentional 
about your culture and about building a remarkable culture, then you are intentionally building an unremarkable, not accountable, not results-based culture. You have to be intentional about the culture that you're creating. Because if you're not being intentional, then by default, you are intentionally allowing for the culture that whatever it is will arise. In other words, by default, people are going to drift down the path of least resistance. And that's the culture that will show up if you're not intentional. Um, So what I would say is this. So for me, I really became intentional about culture probably four, four and a half years ago. And it all started because a friend of mine was in the process of deciding whether to sell his business or to scale his business. Mm -hmm. So he'd been in business for, for about a half a dozen years, so five or six years. And he had reached the point where it was either continue scaling the company, bringing on more employees, more team members, or he had an offer, someone wanting to acquire his book of business. And so I was part of a mastermind group for entrepreneurs and we were having once a month lunches. And so I decided to invite my friend one day to this lunch thinking, you know, this would be great to get him around other entrepreneurs to hopefully encourage him to scale his business, to grow his business, take it to the next level. And so he shows up and as luck would have it, that particular day, the the conversation was employees. That was the theme. That was the focus on building your team, holding your team accountable and all these things. And so for the next hour and a half, we sit there and the conversation began with, let's go around the room, briefly introduce yourself and talk about the number of people you have working for you, and then the biggest challenges you face with your team. And so as it goes around the room, there's one gentleman in the room who has over 700 employees. By by all accounts, he was the most successful entrepreneur in the group, in the room, Um, extremely successful, been that way for 20 plus years. And so it comes around to him and the, the question he answers, how many employees do you have working for you? And his answer was about half of them. And so, Mm. you know, everyone chuckles, everyone laughs and makes this joke, you know, ha ha, it's so true. Um, But what that revealed to me that day is as people went around the room and shared horror story after horror story, um, back just thinking like, there has to be something different. There has to be something better. I know that other things can exist out there. And so, I became intentional at that point to discover, to really dive deep into leadership, dive deep into culture, um, and make that a central point of my focus going forward. You know, for my friend, he ended up deciding as a result of that lunch, he ended up deciding to sell his company and to not scale his company. Um, But I think all too often, you know, particularly for entrepreneurs, we are so busy with so many things. We're wearing so many different hats Mm -hmm. that culture becomes this thing that gets pushed to the side. And we, we justify it by saying it's really not that important that we'll deal with culture when the time comes. Mm -hmm. And what I can tell you is I wish I had been more intentional much sooner about culture. Mm -hmm. And it's so true. I think we just look back, you know, when we first start our businesses, it's just us. We don't necessarily know what we always should be doing and then things kind of happen. So I think it's true. And that's why I like to have these episodes to help educate, you know, the business owners on these topics. I'm glad we're talking about this today. Um, But I'd love to talk about then too, what is the role, if any, for, you know, their mission, 
their vision, the core values of their company in building that culture. <laughs> yeah, Candy, that 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 again is a, a question that I would say, you know, for so long I neglected those things. I knew about those things. I heard so many people talk about their importance. And I honestly just dismissed those things. I just said, you know, it's not that important. It's not that big of a deal. And then again, as I really dove into building out a culture, um, what I came to realize was, you know, your mission, your vision, your values, those things become the North stars, the guideposts, mm -hmm. the guide rails for your culture. And one of the things that we discovered several years back, uh, and this is one of the centerpieces of what I believe is our culture and what I believe makes our culture, you know, self-accountable and high performance or, or results based is this, it's called the field of play. And so if you think about, just think about a football field, mm -hmm. you know, and if you're starting down at one end of the football field and your goal is to make it all the way down to the other end, to the goal line to score the touchdown. Um, so, you know, you think about that on a sheet of paper, if you will, or, or just the football field yeah. for each team member on your team, your goal is to help them figure out what is the goal line for their role. In other words, mm -hmm. what does it look like for them to win? What does it look like to, for them to put points up on the board mm -hmm. to be successful? Um, and so that is where we want to help them, one, figure out what that looks like. And number two, we want to help guide them on what steps may be necessary to get there. Now, in that field of play, just like in the real, real football field, over on one side of the field, you have an out of bounds. And on the other side of the field, you have an out of bounds. And so for us, over on one side of the field, we have what are called terminal out of bounds. In other words, if you go out of bounds in one of these ways, it's more than likely going to result in termination. And so mm -hmm. that list is fairly short and it's fairly obvious, right? So if you steal from the company, you know, if you lie to a client, um, it's all the things that we all know, like, if we do these things, we're going to get fired. Um, the difference is we have them in writing. So it's crystal clear. Like here's the, uh, there may be half a dozen of those things. There's not very many. Um, but if you do these things, chances are you're going to get fired for doing these things. On the other side of the field, the other out of bounds are what we would call operational out of bounds. In other words, these are things, these are the ideals that we want to mm -hmm. operate to. Now, it's okay occasionally if you step out of bounds on that side, right? So if you step out of bounds operationally, we're going to have a conversation that says, hey, it looks like you stepped out of bounds here. Here's what our expectations are. Here's what they say. Here's how you kind of violated those. We need you to step back in bounds. And so what would then happen if, if it gets violated again, that conversation gets a little bit different, a little bit more direct. And mm -hmm. we just want to make sure that there's clarity around that expectation. Um, I think, you know, a side note here, I think that as leaders, as entrepreneurs, all too often, we end up frustrated at people on our team for violating something that hasn't been clearly expressed. Mm -hmm. So unexpressed intentions are a breeding ground for frustration. And so it's so important that we're clear. And that's why for us having this field of play where we have our expectations lined out and they're very crystal clear so that when someone steps out of bound, we can go to the document, we can meet with them and we can say, look, here's exactly why and where you stepped out of bounds. Mm -hmm. Do you see how that's an issue? And then what do we need to do to step back in? So the field of play for us, um, 
has become really a centerpiece of the culture. And what it does is it helps also keep us aligned with our vision, with our mission and our core values, which again, Mm -hmm. serve as the guidepost for these out of bound, out of bounds marks. Right. I like that. I haven't heard that description before of how to look at it, but I think it's good. And of course, you know, reminding the managers or the business owners, you do have to spell out, you know, your expectations and, you know, this is where you need to operate to meet the guidelines and the expectations and not doing that is unfair to the employee as well, you know? And so that could cause frustration on their part as much as frustration in your own, you know, management style, like saying, why isn't this person, you know, doing what I expect? Well, if you didn't explain it to them, how are they going to meet that standard? Yeah, it's so true. And I think that, you know, for me, I can speak for myself for sure. I was so guilty for so long of not understanding the difference between explicit communication and implicit communication Mm -hmm. or implied communication. And I think what happens is when we get frustrated with someone on our team, the very first place to start is by looking and saying, was the expectation explicitly communicated Mm -hmm. or was it more implicitly communicated? And all too often, this certainly been true in my life, all too often, if we really examine that, what we'll discover is that we implicitly communicated something. In other words, we believe that they had the context. We believe that they had the knowledge um, to understand whatever that particular expectation was. And in most cases, they simply don't because they don't have the Mm -hmm. years of experience. They're not looking through the same lens. And so when furious, get curious. Mm -hmm. So when I get furious or frustrated with someone, step one is to get curious. Did I explicitly communicate? Were the expectations very clear, crystal clear, or mm-hmm. was there some gray area that was implied? So that's, that's I think, lesson number one that I constantly have to remind myself of is mm-hmm. when furious, get curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I haven't heard that before either. Lots of great tips you're sharing today. So uh, now we have an entrepreneur who's like, okay, yes, I, I want to create the culture. I've looked at my vision and my mission and you know, the core values and everything. And now I want to create this plan, you know, for my staff too. So they're going to be self-accountable performing well. So what are those steps to create that high performance, self-accountable culture? Sure. Um, So, you know, let's go back to the field of play, the football and field analogy. Um, Without a vision for your organization, how can you possibly expect your players on your, your team members to understand where the goal line even is, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't have a clearly defined vision for what success looks like, what the future you hope for, you intend for looks like, you cannot be frustrated at them for not understanding or not knowing what to do next. And so number one, I would say is we have to take the time to write a vision, a very clear picture of what success looks like at a future point, a point in the future. Um, that would be step one. And as much as, you know, if someone, if I'd heard someone rewind, you know, eight years ago, six years ago, talking about this, I would have said, okay, that's great. That's touchy feely, but you don't understand all the problems that I'm dealing with today. Right. I don't have time to step back and, and go do this, you know, this little exercise here about the future. I've got all these issues to deal with today. And what I would say is this, that 
the issues you're dealing with today are a reflection of the fact that the, the future is not well-defined. Mm-hmm. So in other words, the problems that are showing up today are in some way, shape, or form, a reflection off of the fact that the future is uncertain, the future is unclear, and you and or your team do not understand where you're trying to get to. Um, The other thing that I would say about a vision and why it's so important is this. When you have a team in place and when you have the right people on your team, you no longer need to micromanage those people Mm -hmm. because if they understand the vision, if they have bought into the vision, you just say, here's where we're trying to go. Help us get there. And it's amazing when we get out of the way, when we allow people the freedom to fail, when we allow Mm -hmm. people the freedom to do things in the way that they want to do them, not the way we necessarily want to do them, but in the way that makes the most sense to them. It, it, it's just amazing the amount of stress that that removes from us because they understand where we're going. We give them the freedom to pursue it in their way, their manner, but then we also give them permission to fail. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the hardest things to learn as an entrepreneur, Um, especially when you go from solo entrepreneur and you're adding your first few staff members, your first few team members, um, because it's very easy. And it's very often that we could step in and prevent the failure, right? We could step Mm -hmm. in and say, no, don't do it that way. It's going to, you know, things are going to go downhill. But what we know, what we all know is that we learn far more from our failures than we do from our successes. So by constantly protecting people from failure and preventing those failures, we are removing one of the most powerful and one of the the best teachers that there is, which is failure from the equations. So Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, big caveat here, we're not going to allow people to fail in ways that are catastrophic, meaning, you know, something that's going to run a client's business or run a relationship with a client, or that's going to be detrimental to the company. But all the little failures, the inconsequential things, we are going to allow those failures. Yes, it's going to be frustrating for them. Yes, it's going to be frustrating for you. Um, and yes, from time to time, it may be even a little frustrating for clients as they fail and learn and grow, but that is where the growth comes from. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it goes back again to the vision and making sure that you have that in place. That's That I believe is one of the, the most important foundations to building the self-accountable culture. Right. So then what role does consistency play in building that culture as well? Yeah, I've come to love the phrase consistency creates miracles. Um, Mm -hmm. So first of all, I am your typical entrepreneur. I love the next thing. I don't love the current thing. I love (laughs) the next thing, right? I'm by, by noon, I'm bored with my latest idea. I'm ready for the next idea. And so I've had to work really hard on myself as a leader to learn to be consistent in the ways that matter. And so mm-hmm. when it comes to building a culture, consistency creates miracles. And so what that means is we have to get our organization into consistent patterns, into consistent habits that foster self-accountability and they foster results-based or high-performance-based culture. And so for us, I'm just going to run through just a list of a few things that we do extremely consistently. Um, I don't know if that's the right verbiage or language there, but you know what I mean there. Um, So number one, every single Monday, 
from 1.45 to 3 p.m., we have a team meeting. Now, I can come back and talk about the team meeting, which matters a lot to the culture that we have. Every single Tuesday morning, we have one-on-ones. And one of the most important things that I've learned over about one-on-ones is this, that one-on-ones, um, you as the entrepreneur, as the leader, don't create the agenda. Your team members create the agenda for their one-on-one. In other words, this is their time to address the issues they're dealing with. It's their time um, to use as they see fit. Now, sure, you can steer the conversation. You can help guide. You can do all those things, but this is their time. This is mm-hmm. their meeting. Um, the thing that we do is we do quarterly team meetings. So this, you know, it's almost a full day. It's not quite a full day for us, but this is where we review the last quarter. We look at the field of play. We look at the goals basically that we've each established. Um, how did we do? Where did we land? Where did we all, what lessons did we learn? Right? So if we, if we hit the goal, what lessons did we learn? If we didn't hit the goal, what lessons did we learn? Um, what failures did we encounter along the way? What failures Um, could have been avoided if we had only known X, Y, or Z. And then we also look forward to the next quarter. Here's what Mm -hmm. I'm aiming for. Here's my goal line for the next quarter. And then here are the three lead metrics that I believe are going to get me there. And so one thing that that I'll point out is when we get to our weekly team meeting, every single week, every single person puts their goal up on the board and it's very visual. So typically it's a bar chart. And, you know, for like our team leaders, it's, it's financial goals for their department. And so the bar chart shows, here's my goal. Here's where I'm at in relation to my goal. Then under that is here's lead metric one. Here's my commitment for this week for lead metric one. Here was my commitment for last week for lead metric one. And so they report on, did I, did I keep my commitment from last week or did I not? And then they present their commitment for this coming week. And then what happens is it's the team's job. So it's everyone else in the room's job to question them, to challenge them. But the reason it's not just a question or challenge. The reason is this, we want to question them. We want to challenge them because we want to ensure that if they complete their commitments, if they fulfill their lead metrics, they are going to hit their big goal for the quarter. Mm -hmm. Um, so we do that. We also do uh, quarterly performance reviews with individuals. Um, so those would be kind of the, some of the core pieces that we have in place um, that create that consistency that help foster this, this culture that we're working actively to build. Mm-hmm. So if someone, again, is saying, this is great, I want to start implementing this, I want to make sure that I'm being intentional about the culture that I want to create, how long would it take them from the time they start until the time they get to where they feel the culture is really where it needs to be for their company? My, my gut reaction, Candy, is never. Um, <laughs> and I, I think, you know, I think part of that is this, that when we hear the word culture, it's important to understand that the word culture actually comes from the same Latin word as cultivate. And so mm. when we think about cultivate, cultivate means to work the soil. And so if we think of our culture as the soil in which the people are planted, in which the business is planted and rooted, um, we have to constantly work the soil to keep the weeds out. We have to constantly Mm -hmm. work the soil to make sure it stays fertile. Um, And so what I would say is that 
culture has to constantly be cultivated. It has to constantly mm-hmm. be worked because what we know, we, we all know this, just look at our lives, look, look out at your garden, if you have a garden, is that by default, people drift down the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. If you think about a garden, if you plant a garden today that's weed-free, it doesn't matter where your garden's at. Over the course of a few weeks, weeds are going to show up in your garden. How mm-hmm. they get there, I don't know, but they're there in the soil, right? And they slowly start sprouting. So the weeds are the problems, the challenges, the things that come up in our culture that are always going to come up. Um, it's our job to have the mentality that we have to constantly keep cultivating this culture. Mm-hmm. We have to keep the soul, um, you know, I don't know the, the right gardening terms, but we have to keep it loose. We have to keep it aerated. We have to keep the nutrients poured into the soil. If not, the soil will turn to clay or it will turn too sandy. It won't retain moisture. All of these things will happen when we take our attention off of the soil, which is mm-hmm. the bedrock, the culture that we're building. Right. Well, and of course, as people come and go and, you know, the staff changes, that's going to impact that culture a little bit too. So if you, like I said, if you set it up originally, but then things change, it's not going to be necessarily what you intended if you're not still, you know, trying to build that. Now that that's so true as, as people leave, as new people come in, um, one, when you're small, it's very important to think about this when you're a small organization, the hires that you make, in other words, the people you bring onto your team, every single one of those becomes a critical decision. So mm-hmm. when you're bringing on your first hire, that person equates to 50% of your staff, right? You right. and them. So they are bringing a tremendous amount of responsibility, even if their job is, is something very simple. In other words, even if their job is just maybe uh, responding to emails or, or whatever mm-hmm. the, the task may be, because they still represent 50% of your culture, 50% of your work, your, your team, um, it's a very important hiring decision. The same thing's mm-hmm. true. You know, when you hire your next two, they're 25%. So in other words, when you have a team of four people, each right. person is 25%. Um, as you continue growing, you know, you end up hiring a bad person when you have 10 people, it's only a 10th right? Mm-hmm. But what I can tell you is that, you know, at, at all sizes, but, but when you're small, if you have 10 people on your team and one person is the wrong seed, right? right. They're, they're poison to your soil, to your culture. Over time, if that person's allowed to remain in your culture, they will begin poisoning those around them. Mm-hmm. Their attitude, their behaviors, whatever it may be, will begin rubbing off on those around them and bringing the others down to their level. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's something to focus on too. So let's say there is someone in the company that really isn't ideal and is affecting the culture. What do they do in that case to turn around that culture that's not so great to become what they want? Yeah, I think sometimes... Um, the, the harsh answer is sometimes people do have to be removed to get mm-hmm. the culture to where you want it to go. Um, and one of the hardest things for us to do as entrepreneurs is as we get into the path, a certain distance, in other words, we have one or two or three employees and we've made it several years down our path, our entrepreneurial path. It's very hard to shift behaviors that have been ingrained over mm-hmm. three and four years in people. It's very difficult to completely reset expectations 
for those people. And so some things, you know, that I think one would be looking at um, possibly having to remove people that that's certainly mm-hmm. an option. Um, but it, it goes back to the vision, which you brought up earlier, Candy. The vision gives you a very easy end to these conversations. In other words, a very easy path into some very difficult conversations because you as the entrepreneur, this is the thing that you've invested your life into creating, right? To bring into mm-hmm. life. And so you get the privilege of writing the vision for the future. You get the privilege of determining where you want and where you hope to take your company going forward. Um, so when you do that, when you sit down and write your vision, you can then present that vision to the team and help them understand this is where we're going. I understand that three years ago when you started, this may not have been where we were heading, right? We were just trying to survive then, but now we have a a firm footing and that firm footing now gives us the privilege. It gives us the opportunity to go in a direction we couldn't have gone in three years ago. Mm -hmm. Here's where we're going. I realize that getting there is going to be difficult. I realize that getting there is going to be a challenge. Getting there is going to mean giving up a lot of the things that we used to do, right? It's going to mean giving up some of our habits. It's going to mean giving up some of the excuses that we've come to tolerate in order to get there. I understand that you may not be willing to commit to get us to that vision and Mm -hmm. that's okay, right? So again, it's about communicating where we're going and where Mm -hmm. our culture is intended to take us. In in light of that context or in light of of that vision, it makes those conversations so much easier. Right. So if you want to make that change in the culture, you realize, you know, things are not where they need to be because they were not intentional about it. And now they're having a meeting with staff and saying, this is where we want to go. And a lot of people, of course, don't like change, right? You know, but do you just give them a, a period of time where you say, okay, well, let's see how things go in the next few months. Do you let them say, well, I'm not sure I want to be on this team doing this right now. Cause that's not what, like I intended, like, you know, what do you do in the case where you need them to buy into the culture or they're not going to fit in? What do you do? Yeah. So number one is it's an option for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. The only person that it's not an option for is you and your intention. In other words, mm-hmm. you have the privilege, you have the responsibility as the leader, as the entrepreneur for deciding what type of culture you want. You get that responsibility. You get that privilege. But the flip side of that is you have to own the consequences Mm -hmm. of the decision that you make. And so when you present, here's where we're going, here's where I hope to get to, um, what I believe is that this was certainly true for me, is that I made up a lot of stories about the way things would unfold when I presented the new culture or the new vision. Um, I made up all kinds of stories about how difficult it would be or how people wouldn't want to buy in or how all these things would happen. And yes, we ended up having people leave because they did not like where the culture was going. Um, Mm -hmm. They did not like the high level of accountability that was coming. But what I would say is this, as you begin moving forward into the culture that you want to create, the culture itself will weed people out. It will Mm. weed out the people who don't fit your culture any longer. And one side of it is, you know, um, we can view that as a negative, like, you know, we we shouldn't do anything that's going to cause people to want to leave our team. The flip side of that is, if you're being intentional and you're building a high performance, a self-accountable culture, 
and people want to leave. They no longer see that they fit the culture. That's a great thing, right? That's a mm-hmm. great thing that they come to the realization that, hey, maybe where you're going isn't in line with who I am, who I want to mm-hmm. be, where I want to go. There's no hard feelings. There's no harm in right. that. It's far better that you have open dialogue, open communication around those things than to force, drag, prod, and plead and beg people to come along with the culture you're trying to create. Right. Yeah, that's great. So are there any tools you recommend to help someone in this area who wants to build the culture or improve the culture? Sure. What I would say is, you know, first of all, define what you want your culture to be about. So Mm -hmm. for us, you know, it comes back to to two words. So self-accountability. In other words, I don't want to have to hold people accountable. No one, from my opinion, likes to be held accountable. They like to hold themselves accountable. They Mm -hmm. like for their peers not from the top down, but they like from their peers, from those around them to help hold each other accountable, right? So it's completely different when someone sitting next to you says, hey, I'm going to help hold you accountable to complete your commitments this week. Then it is for me as the quote unquote boss to say, I'm going to hold you accountable to make sure you do what you're supposed to do, right? It comes across differently. And then the B part for us is, you know, we want to be high performance or another term results-based results oriented Mm -hmm. culture. Um, that's for us that may not be for everyone listening to this. So step one is you have to identify what it is that your culture should represent. Another way, in other words, when I'm away, when Wayne's away on vacation or Wayne's out mm-hmm. sick or whatever it may be, what do I want to be true when I'm not here? What mm-hmm. do I want to be representative of our culture when I'm not here? Um, but with With the pros that come along, so one caveat here, one kind of warning here, with the pros that come along with building out a great culture, building out a self-accountable team, a results-based team, you know, you you look at that and you say, that's that's amazing, that's remarkable, that's great, you know, um, I wish my team were that way. There are also negative consequences that come with that. And what I mean by that is um, we, on a regular basis, have people trying to steal our team members away from us. Mm -hmm. We have clients trying to steal our team members. We have competitors trying to steal steal our team members. We have others in the workforce trying to steal our team members away. And I view it, you know, one side is I could view that as a negative, right? And there's some negative, obviously, consequences to having to hire, retrain, replace, et cetera. But I view it as a positive. I view it as I would much rather have a team that people are trying to steal away than to have a team that no one wants. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a good point. <laughs> so I, I slightly diverged off the original question, but um, I think step one is to be crystal clear about what you want your culture to represent. Step two is to make sure that the vision for the future that you have written out, don't tell me you've got the vision in your head. I know you do, mm-hmm. right? We're entrepreneurs. We do have the vision in our head. Until it's written out, it's not real until mm-hmm. it's written. It's not real because you can't communicate to someone on your team what's in your head. Because what happens is you end up communicating and things get implied. You imply mm-hmm. that they understand certain things about your vision and they don't. So it's got to be written out. It's got to be crystal clear. It's got to be shared until your vision is shared with the team. You can't expect them to buy into it um, until you open it up for feedback from them they're not going to buy into it. In other words, the vision 
you need buy-in from the team. And in order to mm-hmm. get buy-in, you have to be willing to get, give them permission to give you feedback, give them permission right. to suggest edits to the vision, how they see themselves fitting into the vision. Um, so those would be the, the three things that I would say to start with. Perfect. Well, this has been great information you're sharing. I know we're coming to the end of the time that we have together today, but I wanted to give you the chance to share how listeners can connect with you if they want to reach out and touch base. Sure. The simplest way candy would be for people to go to our website. That's just uglymugmarketing.com. Um, on there, we've got links to our social channels, email addresses, phone numbers, all the good stuff's right there in one spot at uglymugmarketing.com. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you, Wayne, so much for being a guest on my show. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Candy. I've enjoyed our conversation today. Yeah, it's been great. I've loved the kind of stories that you've told to just kind of highlight the the tips that you were sharing. And so I, I <laughs> a lot of them, like I said, I hadn't heard before. So I was uh, very in tune to what you were saying and thought, you know, that was all great information. So thank you so much. Very well. Uh, I do also want to thank our listeners for tuning in today. I hope you found this topic interesting and that it answered some questions about secrets of building a high-performance, self-accountable culture. If you have any additional questions or comments, be sure to reach out to Wayne through the website address that he gave, or you can send us a message at media at abandp.com. And would you please share our show information with those you know? I'd greatly appreciate your support. I hope you can join us for next week's topic, Productive Responses to Business Concerns. And please remember you can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And my website is www.abandp.com. You can also find the podcast posted on multiple favorite podcast platforms, including Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you for listening to Biz Help For You. Please join your host, Candy Messer, again next Tuesday. Have a terrific week.